Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Nowadays podcast. We'll horse straight into it this time. Welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast, Catherine Coffee Brian. How are you keeping tonight? Oh, not too bad now. Just back from work, as you can see. Yeah, and um, as we were saying, this is our second take at starting, but uh, it's howdy weather. It's out in cardigan weather. Mm. It's jumper. It's scarf weather. It's freezing. Happy Christmas to everybody. Um, and look, I suppose the way we kick it off normally is for the people that don't know you, many will, many won't. Um, who is Catherine Coffee Brian? Where are you from? And what's the crack? Right, uh, well, where I start? Um, nomad, nomad, you know, it's, 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 there's a broad, a broad scope of nomad. If you knew me from work, I work in Secure, say. Um, if you knew me from my activism, you'll know that I'm, I'm active when it comes to social justice issues, like inequality and different issues affecting us. Um to know me, I think we are all. I think every one of us are learning to get to know ourselves, especially yeah. if you come from particular backgrounds. Now it may sound like a riddle, but I'll just I I, I talk freely. Um, I was born a traveller. My grandfather was a tinsmith. My mother sold roses. My mother would be well known. She'd be related to a lot of families. But um, where are you from? Kerry, don't shoot us. <laughs> um, Kerry. We're from Kerry. We're called, from a place in Carstavine called Over the Water. It's called, it's in Valencia. And my grandfather was a tinsmith, as I said. And um, there was a big family of them there. My mother had 22 brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no that's radio or television. <laughs> that's that's typical Irish family back in the 50s and 60s. Really. Yeah. yeah, 14 survived. And what happened was, um, and when I just said earlier in the conversation about knowing me, um, what happened was when my mother was six in the late 40s, six years of age, my grandfather, my grandmother was out picking potatoes and my grandfather was out... Um, Mending tools because he was a tinsmith. Yeah, probably showing horses as well and things like that. And they were camped up mountain stage with um three different other um three 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 like two aunts and an uncle of mine say all camped together. And the cruelty man came, 
And that time they leave the children in the camp with the oldest child. And my grandfather was down working on the farm. My grandmother was picking spuds with her sister and us, whatever. And what? Cruelty Man came and took... Do you want know, to just explain who the Cruelty Man was back then? Because a lot of people... Oh, the, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm jumping. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, the Cruelty Man was paid by the local... Um, it was We would have called it the, the health board... But he was paid by the local uh, health board at the time. And he got so much ahead per child. And then what would happen was that he get his headache for the children. The children then would be brought into the industrial schools. They would be then brought to the courts and sentenced until they were 18. Into industrial schools like Artine, Etterfrac, Upton, St. Joseph's, the Nazareth. The families were split up. So would the cruelty man, I suppose, be like a social worker employed by the health board to go around? And At that time, you would have, yeah, it would have been a. T- he wouldn't have any, had any qualifications or anything. Yeah. He would have, he would have been around, and he would have been there on the premise of looking to deceive children. He would make the judgment call, and like if God forbid, if you met a biased cruelty man. Mm. That took a disliking against your family, or a parish priest could get you. Um, a parish priest could get you signed into industrial school. Uh, a doctor, um, a district nurse. It was anyone that was kind of a figurehead in the community. Mm-hmm. So my mother was six, and she was sentenced until she was eighteen Jeez. into an industrial school. Our two sisters were sentenced. Into another industrial school, and her brothers were all sentenced into different boys' industrial schools. Now, remember, we come from a clan system mm. where, like, all the family raised up together. Yeah, they were they were scattered overnight like leaves in the wind. Um, one made it because my mother hit him. He was only a baby. She hit him with a shawl. But sadly, he got polio when he was 16. He travelled with my grandmother or my grandfather after the rest of them were taken. But he got polio at 16. And at 36, he was a chronic alcoholic. And as in 1983, he was put up on Patrick's Bridge. He was... Um, Crippled from the waist down, but he was very tall, but he wouldn't go into a wheelchair, so he used to wear calibers. His name was Joseph. And he was picked up by the Gardaí at one Thursday on Patrick's Bridge here in Cork City. He was known to the Simon community. I remember all his brothers and sisters were scattered. Mm. Mm. And by 27, he was found dead in the Bridewell cells. He choked in his own vomit, according to the autopsy results. That's a sad ending, isn't it? Yeah, but for it's... the only one that didn't mm-hmm. yeah. get that wasn't sentenced into the institutions. Did your mother ever tell you stories of the industrial schools? Yeah, my mother did, but I was I was ironically I was <laughs> I don't want to be jumping forward. Oh, fine. Um, my mother, my mother. Was boarded out. Boarded out is a term that is used. That it was they were, the order. The nuns were paid for fostering, 
but you were boarded out as manual labour. So you did, if you were a girl, you did cleaning, cooking, minding, minding the house of gentry. If you were a boy, you were boarded out to farmers and used the cattle to mind the cattle and the sheep, whatever. Mm. My mother was boarded out to a family in Dublin that owned a hotel, and she was fifteen. My mother never discussed what had happened, but from what I get from what you can read between the lines, she had gotten a gift from the hotel owner. His wife wasn't happy about us. My mother, and she was 15, she was innocent, like. Mm. And she got an awful, awful beating that night, and she, the following day, she ran. And she got the first boat over to England to a place called Lincoln. She she arrived in Manchester and then she went from Manchester on to Lincoln where she caught up with other family members because, again, in our families, you can find each other very quickly if you're, do you know? Mm. So word had got out that we had family in Manchester and Lincoln and that's where she ended up. To, ask, to answer your question, my mother spoke of doing laundry she spoke of um, uniform. She spoke of um, the prayers. My mother, like, bless her. I respect my mother. Mm. Um, she knows every novena, every patron, every patron saint, mm. and she's enough rosary beads for the whole population of Ireland. <laughs> I say that with great respect. Yeah. But in saying that, my mother... It was almost my mother was pre, my mother was predisposed to be that she she was conditioned. Yeah. And when she was in 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 a, a in religious institution from early was, childhood up until early adulthood. She was taught when to sleep, when to eat, when to pray. My mother was never educated either. She was put in to do kitchen work, and she was put in to mind the babies in the nursery. That's what my or laundry. My mother was never educated because mm. there was no there was no expectations of travellers within the industrial school system. I think... know that because I saw it firsthand. Okay. Do you know what? It's, I'm finding it really hard to get my head around how you could sentence a child, a six year old child, to um, hard labour for until they're heading. You know, it's just so. It's hard to get your head around, really, isn't it? It's, it's so severe. I wonder, does the cruelty man um, take the child and then he just says that they can't look after him or her, the child, and then it's his word, basically. Yeah. They take his mm. word and then the, the child see, is written off. Imagine, imagine something like that, yeah. Like, what I'm saying is, I'm trying to get my head around it. Like, I couldn't imagine one of my, my kids be taken and... Going through something like that because we've all seen the Magdalene sisters, yeah. you know, on the treatment. I, I would know several Magdalene's. Yeah. You see, the thing is, this is the worrying thing about class divisions and class issues. People say, "Oh, you're if you say about equality, or if you speak about uh, a level playing field." And I'm on about education. I'm on about mm. I'm on about handouts. I'm on about the basic human rights, mm. education, housing. If you give a child a level playing field and let that child have access to a decent education, access to a decent roof over their head, then you're 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 nourishing that child for future generations. Mm-hmm. 
But when you say sometimes in this country about social class, people get offended. But I'm sorry, mm. class inequality causes this to happen. That's what happened back in the day. What happened was just my mother got my mother had me. My mother was so. My mother didn't know how to hang a curtain. Yeah. She was so institutionalized. Yeah. She married. It's a funny story. <laughs> I, I'd like to warn you, I have a dark sense of humour. That's grand. You, <laughs> you fit in here well. <laughs> yeah, you have to, like, because otherwise, like, do you I know, know what I mean? I know, I know. My mother met my father, and apparently I was um, conceived in a bare top wagon. My father used to, my father trained to be a jockey. My father's also a traveller. Yeah. He trained, first of all, he went to the army, and when he did his service in the army, he came back. And then he trained to be a jockey. And my father, I would say ranting about the man, he had a great way with horses. I seen him one time whip a young fella for mistreating a horse. Mm -hmm. My father was a very quiet man, but my father didn't understand. He didn't, ha he didn't understand and he didn't have the capability of understanding what my mother went through. Even though they were from the same ethnicity, my mother was institutionalised. Mm -hmm. And she taught A, B and C, but he taught D, E and F. Yeah. So one day, anyway, I was conceived, they got married. And long story short, it was, she blames the baby sham, she had one baby sham, my mother doesn't drink, but she... <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, sorry mama, I'm push. <laughs> But anyway, I was the result of the baby sham. Uh, so a baby sham, barrel top wagon, and along, go comes, along comes Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many babies, though, the result of a baby sham. If you ask if you ask everybody around Ireland, oh, that was the baby sham. I can't remember that. I know, yeah. yeah. But I was, when I was born, um, my mother said that um, they brought me down. <laughs> they brought me down to the, 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 the doctors there or whatever. I had a cold on my face. A cold is a piece of skin over your face, and it's very lucky. Apparently, it was taken off anyway, and it was sold to a sailor. But it bought me stuff, basically. Mm -hmm. Typical, my mother, typical, though she was institutionalized, she still had the old ways about her. She'd, mm -hmm. she'd like, but anyway, my mother wasn't able to, she wasn't able. Yeah. And what happened was, she not long after. I was born, she was shortly pregnant again with my brother. And long story short, it was what wasn't diagnosed again at the time, she had postnatal depression. And what happened was she was signed into a mental asylum. So, my brother, who had very bad health problems, he's my sibling, he was in the hospital. And I ended up being put into an orphanage slash industrial school where actually, ironically, my two aunts had been in. And one of my aunts had died in there at 15 with, it's a heart-related illness, it's related to malnutrition. Okay. So I spent my couple of my formative early years there. What kind of age are you talking about? I'm talking from a year and a half. So then what happened was I was brought back out. To my my mother was, I hate, there are certain words I hate and you probably relate to them. I hate the word released. 
Mm. Hate the word released. Mm. It's like because you don't belong to anyone. Yeah. So no one has the right yeah, to yeah. release you. And I was a child. So I like I oh by the way, I have all my records. So, um long story short, but is I got my um I got released out to my mother again. But by then things weren't between her and my father. My father didn't know what to do. And to be honest about it, at that time we were on about it before we started this podcast. It happened with my own grandfather, my mother's father. Alcohol became a crutch. And when a man sometimes, and I'm not saying all men, because mm. I'm not a Dr. Phil, far from it. But I think if men, or if if a man loses his way, like if he's not earning, if just, and if he goes out there every day of the week and he's trying to earn a couple of bob and he's not able to get a job and he's shut down at every moment. And what I saw through my family was alcohol was used as a crutch for my father and my grandfather. And it caught, and to be honest about it, it did cause a multitude of problems. And at that time, it wasn't known as addiction. It was, I remember my mother sending me into the pub and looking for the money, looking for the dole money mm. before it was drank. And when you're a small child and you're going in to try and get the money from your father and your mother's outside waiting and it's the difference of either eating mm. Or begging at the back of the convent door. Um, and you don't get to process that until you're older. And then you, you you go through a stage where you might be angry at your father. But then when you get to my age, you actually realise, hold on a minute. That was his way. It's not, it's not an excuse. But that was his way of dealing with what the state had done to my mother. Do you know what you're talking about as well is... And it's happened across all indigenous populations, the Aboriginal people in Canada, Australia, Native Americans. When the traditional way of life is taken from them, it's it, the drink is often the crutch that is used. And you have huge problems with addiction alcoholism in those indigenous communities around the world, including Irish travellers. My here. grandfather was, when his children was taken from him, my grandfather was still on the road. And it wasn't just his children. Remember, there was three families there that day on Martin's stage. All of them men were skilled men. Every one of them ended up. I know my own grandfather ended up dying at what we call the county home. Because he died destitute and he died an alcoholic. And I don't make excuses, but back then men didn't talk about their feelings mm. men did and again my grandfather wasn't educated in academia in books my grandfather was educated with his hands I remember a, um, a grand aunt of mine telling me that they were so sick of finding my grandfather for lighting fires because he used to he used to melt the melt the melt he used to make pots pans kittles and he, they, they got so sick of finding him, the local guards and the districts, and getting warrants on him and locking him up, they just stopped after a while because he was just drinking himself to death. Mm. Now, they knew, like, you see, we and we were on about this a while ago, there was policies implemented in this country that were detrimental 
to anyone that came from travel background. Mm, we were talking about the 1963 policy and the problem of itinerancy. Yeah, the solution to the itinerant problem and, by Charlie High. And we'll know the, 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 the term final solution is also a term that was used by Hitler to describe the solution to Nazis, to Jews, yeah. final solution, one extermination, sentence, you know? Mm-hmm. One sentence in that document was to absorb high tolerance into mainstream society. Well, I'll tell you something, I'll be honest about it, from my own upbringing and from listening to my elders, we were quite content to live our own lives and be, in, be amongst our own people. There was two rules, you never talked religion or politics. We had a, we have our own language. We have our own ways. We have our own ways of approaching things. We have our own client system. Now, I will be honest about it. That is slowly being eradicated. It has been diluted to the point of that v- there's very few of the younger generation that can speak speak fluent Kent. And does a lot of the words are absorbed into slang, slang around here, even though it's not actual slang, it's actual like fiends, bures. Bure. I actually pulled, um, there was, was cups <laughs> yeah. out, fine bure. Cake and the yeah. And I was like, I went to the shop and I said, like, take that off the window. And they were looking at me, I said, take that off the, I said, I want to know who produced them. And it was because I was being a funny judge. I don't mock. And my and I'd like to say as well, my grandfather and my granduncles were Republicans. I don't mock the Irish language, so why should my language mm-hmm. be mocked? Mm-hmm. We don't force it. On, I don't for, force it on mainstream society, but at the same time, I won't have it uh, used for a skit and a, excuse the expression a shit and a giggle. Yeah, because that to me is part of my history. When I was in the industrial schools, I ended up having the same mother superior my mother had. That mother superior was mentioned in the Court of Human Rights by another girl that brought her case into the Court of Human Rights. That woman, that nun, was beyond sadistic. Beyond sadistic. There was the day gone by, and I know it's a surprise, maybe, that I wasn't put in front of the St. Jude statue because I was the last cause. And I was made prayer in my bare knees because my mother was submissive. My mother bowed her head. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And I don't... And it's not that I... And I say it to any young one out there, I, I stumbled along my road. I was a very young mother. I stumbled... But I always, it was like, my life was like a Rubik's Cube. I was always trying to readapt, not to be better than anyone, just to survive. What age did you end up going back into the industrial school? I was back in the industrial school by the time I was seven. I was back in there until I was 14. That was for another, that was another seven years you went in there for? Yeah. I was there and... When I was 14, I was released out of my mother's care. My mother wasn't well again at the time, but because I was 14, like I was told as well in the industrial school, they caught me one time, there was like bookshelves in the day room. Remember now when I say institution, you have a day room. There is a dining room. 
The kitchen is locked down after Rosary. There are dormitories. Um, each dormitory has a name, like St. Anne, St. Philomena's, and all mm. that. There's a communal bathroom with 12 sinks in the middle, six toilets on this side, four baths at the end. Um, once a week, you got one set of clothes, a pair of knickers, and a pair of socks. If the socks or knickers or the clothes were in any way damaged, you were battered into the ground. Now, might I add, these institutions were being funded by the health boards. They were not doing this out of charity. They were getting a payment for us, each one of us, every month. I think as well, to add a little bit of context, when Ireland became... um, when Ireland gained independence, when the Brits left, the Brits left and there was no social services and the Irish Conservative government was more in, interested in, I suppose, agriculture and, and all that type of thing and exporting. So the, the church really kind of took in the social services and the state was happy for the church to assume the role in social services and they had a huge amount of power and there was no questions you asked. You would be right And that. it was facilitated as well. You you would be right in what you're saying. McQuaid, we always say it, well I said, McQuaid jumped the gate when he was writing the, when De Valera was writing the Constitution. We've won the very few constitutions in our, in the world that is enshrined with, if you, there's a theology in there. And if you know what I mean by theology, one of the first lines of the Constitution is man, woman and child, the Trinity. Mm. So you are right. It was a hand. It was it. It, it served both needs. It served uh, De Valera's uh, new wave of politics, but it also served the church. As in, you talk about labour. Well, all my uncles were farmed out. Everyone were farmed out to farmers, and they provided and lots more. I could give you dozens of names of people that were farmed out under the onus. They call it boarded out under the onus of being fostered. Um, Just another form of slavery, really. Yeah. I was, I was told in these, I was told in that place that, because one day, I was looking after the babies, we, we you get a certain amount of toddlers to mind, and um, when they were taking their nap, um, there was, um, in the day room, there was um, this book, bookcase, and I, there was this encyclopedia there. It was ancient. And I was looking at it, and I got a wrap into the head, and I was told to stop fantasizing the book. But uh, they caught me into the office. The office was at the end of the day room, and the nun was inside the desk. And, yes, the desk that you would have seen in the Magdalens, that office would have been very... The offices were all like that. Um, and what happened was I was um, told, told read from the book and I was just thinking there do you know that say for instance the babies that you were minding Catherine what kind of view had the nuns on those babies because a lot of them would have been married or, or <clears throat> would have been born out of marriage and stuff like that did they look at them as you'd look at a baby as I'd look at a baby you or James as in just an innocent person or did they look at them as different because they were born out of well? I would like well I can tell you now out straight, um, after the industrial schools 
Um, I spent a period of time in Besbra, but looking back on my memories, because um, to answer your question, like the babies that came into us would have been seen as it was because um, there was a nursery, and like you had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to go down and look after the babies down the nursery, and then bring them up to feed them this this goodie or porridge. They would have been seen either not fit for adoption. They weren't fit for adoption if they were not fit for like I remember this small little fella and he's he was like Harry Houdini. I still remember him to this day. I have to wonder how he's doing. He in the industrial schools in the the dormitory where the babies were kept, it was in between the big girls' dormitories. Some of some of the nuns would tie the, tie the toddlers down, strap them in. They sometimes they use nylon ties, but to keep them in the cot. But this little fella, he had a mop of strawberry blonde hair, and um, what we used to put on them was tights um, when they were crawling or they were learning to walk and keep them warm as well. Mm. And I remember Harry Houdini, that's how his real name, by the way. <laughs> he got out. He got out and I could see, I still see him now coming down. To, he got out of the cot after being tied in. And I remember him com- coming down, you know, how a little fellow was learned to walk, yeah, slipping scoop, down the stairs. Down, and he put his hands up, mama, like, and I remember the nun just catching him under here and swinging him over. And he just slid up against the wall. And she, she said, you have no mother. That's not your mother. And you, you like, he started crying. Like, you know when a child cries and it, it's stuck there? Mm. He was choking, crying because he wanted, he was sobbing. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't pick him up. So to answer Pretty your sad. question... Yes. That's a very upsetting image, mm-hmm. isn't it? To think that a, a little child, a little baby could be treated like that by an adult. Yeah. And you say you've seen a lot of it. I've seen too much of it. Mm. I've seen too much of it. And it was only with education and life experience that I learned that, that first of all, no child should be treated like that. But also that it was wrong. That it was not just morally wrong. That it was legally wrong. That these children may have been... Just because they were born into circumstances. Maybe their mother didn't have support. Maybe their mother was raped. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe We never know half mm. of what happened with their mothers. But the least that could, those children could have got. And I will be honest about it. Myself and a few others used to hide ligas because they'd lock the kitchen at night. You know, you know, with a lock that you put in a shed. Mm. They'd lock the, the pantry. This is my record. Yes, the pantry, yes, the kitchen is locked at night. You see, I lodged a complaint to my social worker. I have it from the time when I was there. I didn't come back 30 years later or 20 years later to put a complaint in. There was marks all over my body. A social worker called. She saw marks in my face. She asked me. 
at that stage, I was at the end of my way. I was at, as a kid, I was at the end of my line. So I told them what I saw, and I I I told them what happened to me. Did was there repercussions for you? Did the social worker tell the nuns? A social worker came up the following day with a guard. They came into the front lounge. Front lounges for visitors only. Mm. Social worker came up with the guard. I was asked the questions again. I told the guard what I told the social worker. The guard said to me, you must have done something to deserve it. Mm. That's typical um, language that they'd use back then, isn't it? Where do you go from there then? Like, what kind, what, what's your mental state like that? Because you have no protection, you don't feel safe anywhere. Because I told lost... you, there was a point in mm. my life and I say to any of you, and I'm not biased against boys, mm. but I'd say to any young one, any young girl, your life is like a Rubik's Cube. And you adapt until the point of where you understand what's going on. And you adapt to survive and depend on no one but yourself. Try and educate yourself and try to learn from your past mistakes. Then, that's how, that for me, that's how I. Now, I'm not saying, to be honest, well, every day is a school day for me. I ended up in Bezbrand when I was 17. I was released out to my mother's care when I was 14. By the uh, three days after my, sorry, I was released out to my when I was fourteen. I was re- re- I was put back in shortly afterwards. Just before my sixteenth birthday, I was released out. I miss my ex-husband. I will say this: my ex-husband is a magnificent father. I fortunately will. I will never allow anyone to disrespect my ex-husband. But again, he didn't know my upbringing. Mm. He came from a completely different background. He was settled. He was a sports jack. And to be honest about it, he hadn't a clue anything. And I was very selective on what I spoke about. We were only together maybe six months. I got pregnant. Mm. He was He was only going on 22. I was young, yes, but he was he was a young fella. And men are more immature yeah. than girls as well, like. Well, yeah, and um, we had a disagreement. I found out he was doing a line with someone. Well, it wasn't a line. He was just he had a fling. Yeah. And I wasn't um, having any of us. Do you know what I mean? Because like I didn't tell him how much I loved him. So it was a case of. For me, it was like, and I went to the only place I knew was the social workers. My mother wasn't able; she was, she was actually getting worse mm. in her psychosis. I had a relationship with my father, so it was a case of you're on your own. Yeah, I might have. So what I did is I went to the social worker and I asked the social worker. I asked the social worker. I was actually looking to find a bed set or something. And uh, she said to me, I know the social worker's name. And she said to me, there's a place in Cork. She said, you can go to, she says, it's independent living, she said. She said, you can go back to education. And she said, they'll help you with a carrier cot. I'll always remember it. Because I was, you know, like, carrier cot. And... 
she went in to the social welfare officer next door. She got me the ticket, the free. Do you remember the welfare ticket you get? Mm. It's like a pink or yellow ticket you get for the free for, to travel for to get you up the train. And it was up. I arrived up King Station, and what was waiting at me, waiting for me at the platform? Priests, Gerard, none. none. Yes, that must have been some sight. I tell you, I I tell you, even now thinking about yeah. it, there. I swallowed. I swallowed. My, I swallowed my heart to my chest. Yeah, she knew what was ahead. Yeah, she knew my name. She knew now. David code word ex pupil. She knew I was an ex pupil of theirs. She drove me up to Besbra and she told me that I'd be doing front of house. I'd be doing brass. Brass means uh, polishing and all that. I'd be doing altar duty, and I'd be doing kitchen work. Oh, yeah, and I'd be, um, there was girls there that were being privately paid for by their fathers, mothers. I'd be doing their rooms as well, and their laundries. Now, I won't lie to you, from the moment I got inside that front door, I was trying to figure a way of getting out. Do you know when you're, when you're 16 and you've been through all this stuff already and you go in there... Are you saucy? Are you hostile? Are you are you are you like uh, on the attack with them, or are you oh God, no. are, are you just quiet, biding your time and looking oh for God. solutions out? Quite it. No, there was there was another girl that was above there. To answer your question, I was quite the opposite. No, no, no. I danced to the tune. Yeah. I did the brass. I did the altar. I put up with the kind, the condescending comments from the nuns. I put up with the. The mental, uh, the mental bullshit they give out. She got me into the charismatic room one day. Charismatic room. She says, uh, <laughs> she says, uh, there was another, there was another girl sitting across the way from me and uh, there was three files. No names, no anything. Just what their professions were and why they wanted to adapt. And I'd learned since I was a young child never to react because in the industrial school, if you reacted, if you if you if you give a facial reaction, you would get a box into the face. Mm. Like I knew a nun that could use a rosary ring like a knuckle duster. So yes. I knew not to give. Yeah. So when she handed me the three files, and she put her hand on my leg and she said to me, "If you have a boy." There won't be any issue. She's lovely family now for boys. If you have a girl, she'll probably be she'll probably be put down to the the convent you were in. That meant my child was going to go into the same place I was in, and my mother was in before me. Now, whether I had a boy or a girl, I had no intentions of giving up my child. None, absolutely none. I was trying to, again, Rubik's Cube. I was trying to figure out my way out of it mm. and salvage, this time salvage, keep my baby. So I was polishing the stairs one day and there was another girl there and she, she got him done that I was, um, no, I, I, I spoke to no one. Do you know what I mean? My house name was Jane. They changed your name above there. And you weren't allowed to talk to each other. You could have pleasant conversation, like, mm. but you could you could never talk talk to each other. Yeah. 
there was a social class in Besborough as well. Um, Amongst the girls in there, like yeah. a hierarchy. Yeah, there was, isn't that the convent girls, we were known as some of the girls whose parents were paying for them up there. They made, um, you know, they would, you know, like, they knew you were cleaning their rooms, the clothes, underwear, things would be all over the floor. Like, they, they, without ever opening their mouth, they, they showed you your place in the running of things. Also, at times, they got fed. Like, we got margarine, um, margarine and bread and water tea. If they, if some of them wanted something, they would get it. Mm. It wasn't their fault. I don't point fingers. But even inside somewhere like Besbra, there was a class issue. So was was um, do you know in your class, let's say in the hierarchy, was there settled goals, or was was travellers treated different to the settled goals, or was this was there no difference between the travelling goals and the settled goals? In any of the institutions, travellers were always the lowest of the realm. In any of the institutions, um, if you were lucky enough that there was a cluster of you there. Year time, especially in the industrial schools, um, you uh, travellers took together, and we, um, we would speak our own language. Um, now sometimes we get rested out and get killed. Like I remember one time we we were brought into the we were brought into the the town for something, and I remember my mother's people, some of my mother's older female cousins were on the street, and you can't like. You couldn't, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't do it to this day. Um, you couldn't walk by and not say hello. Mm. That's disrespectful. They're your elders. They're yeah. my grandparents. They're my cousins. And I remember the nuns were all smiles in front of them. All smiles, Mrs. O'Brien, Mrs. Doherty. How are you? Mrs. Coffey, how are you? Well, when I got up to the, when I was brought back up, when I got up to the office... I was torn around the place. I was beaten into the ground and told, you do not talk to the tinkers. The tinkers don't want you. What age were you then, Catherine? But when that happened to me, oh, I was about 11. Yeah. But I still, like, it made no... It made, mm. I was a bit ticked like that, you know what I mean? Like, mm. like I got rashed on loads of times. To answer your question... Um, the saddest thing was that I saw inside the nurseries was when young toddler travellers come in, especially little girls, and their curls were combed out because they use a steel comb. The first night you went to these places or the day you arrive, you were put into a bath of uh, sunrise. It was um, you were washed with sunrise soap. Do you remember the yellow soap? Mm-hmm. And um, then, like you were scrubbed with that alive. Then your head was checked for nits. With a steel comb, and they be, they would be coming out their curls, and then they would take out their earrings. They, um, they did so to all of us. Just like strip you of your identity, like. Oh yeah, and they'd be like, what t- like when they were going through the child's hair and that, like they were going to tinkers, again their children having loads of children, and they're here now because they can't rear them, and that's lies. Actually, they could rear them. They were taken from them. They were taken from them. That was just Stolen. a way. Of, that was just a way of life, really, you know. But these people looked upon it as, and they were. 
Different. But with toddlers, they when toddlers come in yeah out to the yard time with us, they would be looking for their mamas or their dadas. And some of them would know mama and they'd know dada and kind, especially dada. Yeah. Like I don't know in Cork what she called dada travellers, but in Kerry we call dada gotcha. So, they become gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And the child, you'll comfort them and tell them, don't, don't, don't speak in front of the Don't speak in front of them because you'll get beaten. Like, mm. I remember in the dormitory, I used to go over every word of my language looking out the skylight. In the dormitory, I used to go memorise every word of my language mm. And my mother made paper roses. So when I used to be released out the hour and that, I used to make paper roses. I used to make a hawking basket. Hawking basket is where you would make charms. I know how to make charms. My grand-aunt taught me how to, to read playing cards. And I used to go, then when I used to be put back in and things like that, I used to go over all these things in my mind so that, like, they could try and take it away from me physically by beating me or whatever, but they couldn't take it away from me up here. And how did it, how did it end in Besbra for you? Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing now because I'll tell you why, but for the simple reason. It is, it is a bit funny. You have to, being honest about it, I have to laugh at my own life because for the simple reason, apart from my own life, I'll have to correct yeah. that one. Anyway, I was polishing the stairs one day. One of these girls came down that I was going to uh, do a flick. Because the nuns used to send me down to collect the welfare checks for us lower class girls. And they used to get me to, to post off an A4, um, an A4 envelope with postcards that the the partial girls used to, to, to write. Oh, dear mom, dad, I'm in America, I'm doing blah, blah. Because they had a convent in America and they had a convent in England. And when each week, what used to happen was they'd put all the cards, say, for America this week together with an elastic band, put it in a brown envelope, put the name of the convent, and I would be sent to post it and collect the checks from the social. Oh, and I used to collect the girls that were being uh, paid for by their parents. They used to give me money to get my stuff from the shop. Talk stuff. Yeah. Sweets magazines. So, you want game done? I was on borrowed time. So, I told her, yeah, you can come with me, but, and I, and we were I trying to figure out how she was going to get out. Anyway, long story short, it was, she came with me, and the taxi driver was always told, drop us off at a certain place, and collect us at that place and what we did was um, I took money from the tuck shop money and I bought a stamp to put the tuck money into the in with the checks into an envelope and post it back up to Besbra mm. so and I said that still I'm so I took it back net. I sent back the envelopes I sent back to I sent, sent back the envelope full of postcards where I was supposed to go to, I think it was England that week, I'm not sure. And then myself and the young one was going to cross the bridge. 
and she said to me, we've no money, Catherine. What are we going to do? And I said to her, we'll come. Now, I'd like to add, I was about four and a half weeks after delivery, like, and mm. I went from a set, I, like, I was, mm. and she was big as well. You're walking across the bridge, what bridge are we talking about? Where are um, we? Do you know where, um, St. Patrick's Bridge. Patrick's Bridge, yeah. No, that's ironic, because I'll tell you why. Because there was a fellow we knew from Kerry, he was <laughs> he was driving, what was the answer? He was driving, <laughs> <laughs> he even had a house party the night before your car, and he stopped the car and he went, what are you doing? He knew the girl like, yeah. and he said, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "We're talking to Kerry." And he goes, "We're shine going on. I'm going on down along like." We got into the car anyway, and the more says, "And Mallow, he said, what are you two up to?'" I said, "Um, we're we're out of sacred heart comedy." He goes, "Oh Jesus, I'll be arrested." And I said, "Just keep going." So we got back to Kerry, and that girl came from a very upper class family. And our father was cutting the grass and all the neighbours was, was out because it was the hottest summer we ever had in a long time. And her mother opened the door and she opened the and all the neighbours were out and they all thought she was somewhere else. They thought she was needing nursing. And Because, um, you know, for upper class girls... Is it the shame of having a daughter pregnant underage or out of wedlock so the family put her away in a home and tell other family and friends that she's away in yeah. England doing a course? I we like there was a girl there was a girl above there and she's I would never ever break their confidentiality by their name or anything and yeah. I will never ever give enough I'd never speak about them and give information that would give away their identity. I won't do that. But just to answer your question, an awful lot of it was shame. And an awful lot of us, I'll be honest with you, was that, like, I remember one day, Sister Sarto said to Gary, she came down the corridor after coming down the double doors. The crowd that had come to take the baby had come. And she came down, she was crying. She was in the day room. Again, day room, the language. Like, it was a day room, the industrial school. A day room in Besbra. And she said, um, Dad, she said to the, cry, the girl crying, she says, uh, she gave her £20. She goes, oh no, she doesn't buy herself sweets. Stop that crying. She said to another young one, the young one was nearly due. She said, Sister, I don't, want to, I don't want to give away my baby. And she says, what would you know about being a parent? She says, there's a lovely family waiting for that child. She says, what would you know about being a mother? Mm. And she walked off. See, the thing is, I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm not anti-religion. Sure, can only give your experiences. Yeah, mm. but religion and politics together should never be together. Mm. Because when it came to childcare policy in this country, they have done generations, I know generations of families that have been completely annihilated because either one parent or two parents were in the industrial schools. They ended up in the industrial schools. They couldn't handle their... They couldn't deal with their demons. Then their children are up in residential. Mm. Now, besides from addictions, addiction runs like wildfire through survivors. 
like welfare and survivors' children as well. Because, like, I remember my son said to me about a family tree. He said, we could never write about a family tree from your side, Mom. And I said, why? He said, what did you want us to write? He goes, because you never told us nothing. Mm-hmm. That's sense of belonging. And some people might think, oh, do you know, when that's it happened then, hold on one minute, it can happen very quickly again. Now, it might be done by the nuns. It might be done by the Christian brothers. It can be done. It can be done. Parents' rights can be taken like that. Mm. Just because you're not wealthy enough. Just because your political belief might be different. Just because your ethnicity might be different. Like, I knew several girls I was in institutions with. I I know one girl... Because her parents had a different different political belief. She was taken from her parents. Mm. And when you see, like, and when it comes down to, and I came from nothing. I'm the first one in my family. I went to UCC. I'm home to go back to finish my second degree. I adapted my life. Like, as I said, I work in security. I was trained by the best. The sisters no more say. <laughs> Realistically, I say to anyone, on your baddest day, I always taught my own head, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. And people say, oh Jesus, how could you say that? Very mm. simply. I've seen an awful lot of shitty situations that were in the own, that were done in the name of uh, what the courts ordered and what the church, what what the nuns administrated and what the brothers did. Like, what they did to... Like, I know, and I'll introduce you to him, an old fella. Like, we didn't get... We didn't get things. In the, in the institutions, I'm on about meal times and that, like, it was Sam's SOS, stretch or starve. Do you know what I mean? Like, bread was unlimited. So it would bulk you out, like. But, like, SOS men, like, you grabbed and yeah. you ate. I know this fella, and he thought he was in, he thought he, he was in the same industrial school as us. And he was sent off. He was sent off to another place. And he thought he was in boarding school. And I always slag him, like, because, like, again, we have a dark sense of humor, like, He's, I always said to him, I said, you're a bit small, a bit slow on the uptake line. He'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> he was. He woke up two days later in this dormitory. There was a fella next to him that was in for murder. And there was a fella next to him that was in for... I don't know what, what, was, what was the other fella in for. But I said to, like, we always, I call, we, we call each other sisters and brothers from other mothers. The brother used to be giving him three... The, the Christian brother used to give the boys three fags a day. Now, that was unheard of in mainstream industrial schools. That that fella, who I'll introduce you to, and he is... He, he's a tonic. He, he'll tell you this, like... He was put in to a... He, it was actually a reformatory. And one of, one of the worst you could be in. And why was he put in there? 
because the nun decided that he wasn't he couldn't be con- he, he couldn't be controlled in the industrial school. Mm. When someone has that power with a strip of a pen, it's unbelievable. Mm. I don't know. Do you want to tell us? We'll kind of bring it back a small bit. Um, what you're talking about was all so interesting and it's easy to get uh, there's yeah. so many ways you go with the stories there's so many stories involved with your own story and tributaries off the main river or whatever but um, can you tell me about where your baby was delivered and what happened at that stage I had my child in um, I had my child in Kerry. Um what actually happened was I went like I told you I, brought, I arrived in Kerry again fumbled Fumbled along, had no master plan. But we went, brought the girl back to her her family, her mother's house. And then that day, I that evening, I, I went to my mother's. And to be honest about it, look, with respect, I respect my mother. But she said, you made your bed. You best line it. Mm. She's old school. Yeah. So... What I did was I tummed and I remember I couldn't get a lift, couldn't get a lift that evening at all. It was very hard that time we could tum. And um, so I slept rough that night and I tummed the following day. You were, you, you were eight months pregnant now, seven yeah. months, seven and a half months pregnant now this stage. Yeah. What age were you? I was uh, 17, coming up 70. I was merely yeah. uh, saying, I said, <laughs> I'd be honest about Doesn't it. matter, really. Like, but John, yeah, well, at that time, John, yeah, I mean, like, it was just, just, you don't think, yeah. now you go, Jesus Christ, like, but now. But anyway, what I did was, I, the following morning, and this is where I, things, you meet people for a reason and things happen for a reason. I met this girl. And there was someone, she was there, someone before me that morning because I, I got late on the road again. I was wrecked. And she, actually what happened was her family, she had family out there and she'd been at a party the night before. Uh, her family were from my husband, my ex-husband's area. And she said, my brother's coming in to collect me. Because she, she went to the garage and she rang him. That time there was no mobiles. Mm. And uh, she goes, I'll give you a lift. She goes, you can come out with us. I'll give you a lift. Oh, you great. Thanks very much. And it was the first time I ever had to buy, I had to let my guard down because when I arrived at my ex-mother, my ex-husband's mother's house, she was Church of England. She was English. Protestant. Yeah. And by, it was by the grace of God to the truth because when I told her, like, my... I just said it to her, like I said, they're going to try and take my baby. Now, I'd like to add, there's this perception, especially with anyone that was poor, that ended up in Besbra. Would you believe half the Magdalene's were never mothers? Mm. Any any girls that ended up in Besbra that would come from poor backgrounds, we didn't have poor morals. We weren't, we weren't, Easy. That impression is given out there sometimes. Mm. We weren't. Actually, quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. But, anyway... That's, that's a fair point to make. That's a very yeah. fair point to make, really, yeah. isn't it? We weren't. And the thing is, that concerns me sometimes. 
Because there was a girl above there when I was above there, she was 11 years of age. Now you tell me a child of 11 years of age consented to sex? Mm. Jesus. Yeah. No. But even all, like all girls under 18, all underage girls, they're children. And as simple as that, do you know what I mean? A child is a child is a child. A child is an innocent human being, as simple as that. But the thing was, is that in this country, until, look, until we learn this, and we, and I'd say, I'd say this, I'd say it to you in a moment, to get to the point of what happened with my child, I had, I told my ex-husband's mother, basically, look, they're going to take my child, whatever, and she called out her son, and basically, and I do, I do feel empathy, I do feel bad. Like, she basically told him, like, my grandchild's gone nowhere. You're going to stick by her. And I will be honest about it. That child was born, and it was a, and he was adored and is adored to this day. It was a very hard delivery. There was a nun on the delivery ward who knew my upbringing and made the most of she tortured me it was a forceps delivery I shouldn't have had a forceps delivery if anyone who doesn't know what a forceps delivery is it's Inclu- like including the three of us yeah yeah they just tear you open yeah Jesus and Christ pull it out that's horrific isn't it beyond horrific but the ironic thing is the following morning I had two nuns at the end of the bed with a card and they handed me the card and they said, and thank God there was a young nurse there, they said, you need a rest, we'll take the baby. I opened the card and there was a £100 cheque in it. I threw the card at them and I started screaming crying. But the young nurse had taken my son down to the nursery. Did you think they were after giving you a cheque in exchange for the baby? Yeah. That's what it sounds, that's yeah. what it was. It said, you that's... need a rest, we'll take the baby. I had no intentions of them ever getting their, their claws into another generation of my family. Mm. And I didn't... At that moment, I had it in my head that if things didn't work out with his father, I'd go to England. If that time it was £20 to get the bus to England. And I thought to myself, I was trying to figure out the way of getting the money together to go. But I would... I had a shot straight to England with them because they were not getting them. You see, the thing is, I know... About the frac about what happens with the with fractured broken up families. I have a half sister who's fifty four. We've met once. Mm. My mother. My mother, because of her own upbringing, she was a neighbour. Yeah. I wanted to break the cycle, with my children. I had four. I made sure that. Education, I education was very important. I made sure that that that, that I try to teach them to accept themselves for themselves, and work on their strengths and their weaknesses. Where sports, I try to balance sports with education, and that it was hard because where I lived in Kerry, a lot. 
at them. Sami is just... And that's the, the, the first time I heard the word knacker. I would have heard a lot. Of, I would have, would, have, would have heard the word knacker a lot in the industrial schools. Tinkers more so than knacker. But when I heard it directed, and I'm when I mean directed at me, was when I was raising my children. And I remember one time my son came home crying from school, because he was called to knacker, and I can call to the mother's door, and I said. My child is on a knacker. I'm a traveller. If you've got a problem with that. But no one in that area knew about my upbringing in the institutions. They most certainly didn't know about Besbra. And I didn't know. I don't think I was ever ready. I don't think I was ready that time to, to come out forward. It was the, when the government contacted me because I was one of the very few when the apology came out. I was one of the very few that actually had my records about the abuse in the institutions, and they they had to get my permit. They wanted me to give evidence in the Lafay Commission, which led to the Ryan Report, the investigation into the institutions, because at the time of the abuse it was logged, which was very important. Um. So and because oh, I'm just conscious of yeah, time now as yeah. well, so. You've gone through all that. You've had the baby um, through your adulthood. As you said, you've been through UCC, um, working for children. Uh, you've dipped your feet into politics. You're an activist. Now, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the activism and your take maybe on the recent sealing of um, the report for an extra 30 years? Or maybe what that actually means for you? <coughs> survivor well, of one of those homes well okay to be an activist you see I was I got a degree in community development so did I yay <laughs> <laughs> boards of a fella yeah so then um, long story short it was I did you work for a long time and I worked with the jail or jubilee liaison services mm. and um, I worked in with kids worked in with kids that needed diversion programs yeah in order to enable and empower them to make decisions that were good for them. Not for me, as their youth worker, but for them. But anyway, long story short, twists and turns, we go to about repeal the seal you're talking about, mm. uh, the records. There was an awful lot of misinformation going out there. Mm. Start with, I could bring down my records down here. The mothers can access their records anytime. We can, us from the, you see... And anyone from the industrial schools can access under an FOI their records anytime. Freedom of information. And if you went through the redress system, you can access those records anytime. So what was the furore about recently? It was about because adoption, there's an, uh, an uh, adoption identity rights. Mothers have never objected. Quite the opposite. We have censored. A lot of mothers have censored themselves regarding talking about the internal mechanisms of the mother and baby homes, because you got to understand these these girls were browbeaten into, especially from the poor classes, browbeaten, demeaned into their babies being taken from them. 
there are there is an issue about the misinformation misinformation regarding the records mothers have no issue with adopted children wanting medical information what we have an issue with is they want what you don't realize is that when you were logged into Besbra as a girl your mother's name is in there your father's name is in there your 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 home address was in there the color of your eyes your weight or who it was like a eugenics list mm. Sounds like the checklist you got when you went to prison. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing mm. is, is that, yes, adoptees have every right, have every right to their medical, about their own, about family medical history. But they have no right to their mothers. And I tell you why, there's no right to the mother's personal information. Because for a lot of those mothers, that's like opening up a box of Pandora mm. of pain because as much as we like to pretend that we've since we have a dark sense of humor there are some of us our first sexual experience was rape and then when we told someone in authority we were locked away and then when our bodies changed we were told it was our fault because we were carrying on. Mm. Carrying on being a, a, a term Car- for being promiscuous. Yeah. So, do you know, just to clarify what you're talking about there, the, the, the documents that seal, it's, it's adopted, adoptees can access the, their own information, Yeah. but they can't access the information of their parents. Of their birth mother. That has, they have been sealed. Yes, and... There was, there was a deal made, ideal is the wrong word, there was a commitment made of the Commission of Inquiry into Mother and Baby Homes that any woman that came and gave evidence that if she wanted it kept confidential, that it would be kept confidential, it would be locked down. I have 89 Mothers. I have one who's gone public. The rest haven't even told their husbands. Mm. And they want to keep like that? Until they're ready. They might never be ready. And I'd be honest about it. Why do you think a vast majority of the women went to England and didn't look back? Just less sleeping dogs, like. It's the shame. It's the shame. Like it's just Can I ask you something? Do you know that in St. Patrick's uh, and, and in the tomb, in the tomb orphanages, mm. the tomb orphanage, do you know that stillborns or babies that died in there at, at one stage were sold to Trinity, to... Um, Galway University and into they were well they were they were donated for um, medical research yeah by the orphanage itself by the institution itself because there was a law there if they weren't claimed by their loved one then they were 
they could be used for for autonomy studies. I'm actually, I didn't know that, but I'm actually not surprised because of the atrocities that went on. That fits in well with all that. Do you know the the mass grave in Chum? Yeah. Do you think we have something similar in Besbra? We have. I will be honest with you. We have. We have enough evidence both there regarding the, the maps. We have enough evidence regarding the the death certs. There, are, we know. We we have names. We have enough evidence for both there. As I said, we have the barrister in place. But to answer your question, if you're talking about like um, the number, we've more than two. Do you think we'll ever find out? Oh, we will. One way or the other, we will. It's it's not about finding out. It's about bringing out the truth. Yeah, yeah. it's acknowledging, and then it's mm-hmm. about it's about. You see, the thing is. I know Garmin is a friend of mine. I know Garmin's the the lady that hopefully one day you'll meet her. I'd love to. I know Garmin's from Limerick. Now, look at this, and if you think for a moment, if I know Garmin hadn't come out public, and she'd gone to a lot of organisations, and one thing I don't like, and I'll be honest about it, I don't like... I don't... It's not that I don't like, I won't accept it. When Anne and I got to know each other and became close friends, I could see there was a bit of a class that, that um, what happened was Anne went to different organisations, no one offered to help. And I just felt it was wrong. I felt it was very wrong. Did she have similar experience yourself? Oh yeah, but mu- much more. Yeah. She's the most humble woman you could ever meet. Oh, hopefully, we, hopefully we'll, yeah. we will meet her one day. She, with Anno Garmin, she came out forward. The question I have to ask all of you if Anno Garmin hadn't spoken out about Besbra, about Evelyn, her daughter, dying in Besbra, born in Besbra, and died in Besbra, and buried in Besbra, where do you think what would have happened to Besbra? It would have been built on. Now, if we're living in an equal society and we've developed so much as a society politically and as, you know, cosmopolitan society, why is it still that our offspring and why is it, why is it there, was, there wouldn't have been an eye batters, an eyelid batters if Anne Garman and come out. We went to Cork City Council three years ago, City Council meeting. We found that they were looking for rezoning the property, outside the property. But we kind of had, we were we were concerned. The teenage of the wages, as we call it. If they got planning outside there, it's only a matter of time before they get in. Mm. We were told, and you know, so the sad thing is, we were told we weren't. We didn't know what we were talking about. We were told that um, just dismissed, like oh yeah, all over again. What I'm saying is that like, we're not looking. Anno Garmin and myself, many more, are just looking for that to be preserved, for that, those graves to be marked, preserved, and protected. A wildflower meadow above there, 
and a couple of inches and see where you can put a candle. Nothing more, nothing less. We actually, myself and Nan, forfeited any right. I don't want any redress from Ezra. I want, I want that ground marked, preserved and protected. And we know there's 13 out of the whole, you know, development. There's 13, one, three social housing units going in there. The rest, it's all, all high end. Now, realistically, a lot of those properties, those institutional grounds, they were born out of the, the our capitation, our headage fees, from money from the state, our blood, sweat and tears. In some cases, my friend's children sold. Mm. And yet they're still capitalising to this day. Mm. Selling, look at the Good Shepherds here. There's a public grave. There's a, the Good Shepherds down below have a grave. On Sunday as well. Sunday as well. It is walled in. It belongs to Cork City Council. And I have respect for Cork City Council because they have been very good. They've, they, we have a great line of communication with them. But that is walled in and there's race around the top of us. And there's nearly, near close, nearly to five, 500 and odd Magdalene women. Down below there, they don't even have it's concrete, they don't even have a market. How much do we respect human beings in this country, especially human, be- yeah. human women? So, look, we're just about to close. Is there anything you'd like to say in closing? Where, like, where do you see it going from now? How what, what do you see your role as being in it all at the moment? My role, well, my role is I give my word to my friend. Regarding the marking and the protecting and the preserving of the children's burial ground in Besbra. I say to any young one out there, no matter, have an expectation for yourself. No matter how hard you're kicked down. I know it's not easy. I've been there. And believe me, I'm sure I'll be back there if I get my bad days and my good days. But have an expectation for yourself because that's the problem in this country. And it doesn't make no difference whether you're a traveller or settled. If you come from if you come from a poor area, if you're poorly educated, if you're living week to week, society and I say this with respect, don't expect nothing from us. You have to ex- Make expectations for yourself. But even if it's only making a list of something, a list of something, a list of something you're going to achieve. Mm, some goals. Goals. And then, like, baby steps. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, I tell you now, I really enjoyed listening to you. <laughs> a fascinating story, and you tell it so well. Yeah. Um, your credit to yourself, your family, your kids and everything, your... Yeah your community, uh, your traveller, your great advocate. And uh, just really, so thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, mm. Do you want to close us off, Tim? Yeah, thanks very much, Catherine. Um, you're after opening my eyes to a, a history in Ireland that I really wasn't very aware of, you know, um, and to see where you are and how strong of a woman you are today, you know, and the cause that you're, you're, um, you're working towards, you know, 
trying to get the truth out there, you know. Um, I think you're fantastic. And well, I wish you all the best. Yes, best I say, no. <laughs> nah, thank you. No, I'd like to say thank the two of you because you have no idea you're going to inspire a lot of young people. Mm, please, God. Hopefully. And look, it's like this. I've been, I've been around, I've met a lot of people and I've, one thing I will say about the north side of Cork, salt of the earth. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you. And we'll close on that. I see you all next week from yourself, Timmy, Catherine, and Roman in the back. Yeah. Close it off there, Ron, and we we'll see you next week. Bye. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.